Welcome to the Malaysia in Deluge series of podcasts about Malaysia's 15th general elections, or GE15. I'm Kian Wong, and with my colleagues at MASA, the Malaysia and Singapore Studies Affiliate of Australia's Asian Studies Association, we're discussing the themes, tropes and tendencies of GE15 with all sorts of experts in politics, the economy, the polls, the media, religion and society. In this last episode, before polling day on November 19th, we're hearing from the Undi 18 movement co-founder Thama Pillay, who's coordinating the huge global effort to get about 50,000 postal ballots back to Malaysia and sorted in time at often far-flung counting centres across the nation. All of this relying on the goodwill and energy of Malaysian volunteers urgently recruited for an intense few days. There's been a seven-fold jump in overseas Malaysians voting this GE15 compared with the first time this postal voting was widespread back in 2018's elections, which saw a historic change of government. With about 6 million new and mostly young voters automatically registered, making up nearly a quarter of all voters this time, there's been much uncertainty about how this can upset predictions of an already tight race to power for the rival coalitions. When up to a third of Malaysia's parliamentary seats are won on very slim margins, it's no surprise everyone's nervous about election day and why every vote will count. Just before we get to Thama, here's Xi, one of the organisers in the global collection effort to rush Malaysian ballots home. I'm 21 years old and I currently study UNS at UNSW. I do politics, philosophy and economics and I'm the advocacy director for uh, MASCA. So the Malaysian Australian Student Council. Right. And how is this um, postal voting uh, collection that you guys are doing going so far around Australia? So now that we're like kind of in the crunch time, like in the last kind of like 24 or 48 hours, mm -hmm. it's actually really, it's really good. It's been really productive. Um, but it wasn't that easy. Like at the start, we had a lot of obstacles. Uh, the number one thing we had difficulty with was for, I don't know about other states, but for Sydney, it was really, really hard to like find a location because it is kind of a political thing. So when it comes to like booking spaces in unis and stuff, um, they're not, they're kind of hesitant to give us spaces. But at the same time, you don't want it to be in like such a public place that you compromise the integrity of the voting process. So yeah, it was hard to kind of find a venue, I would say. And here we are at uh, Sydney's uh, historic yes. central station, which is very noisy. But how many do you expect? Because I understand today's central station Sydney collection is the last in Sydney. Is that correct? Yes. So today will be the last one in Sydney. And uh, yesterday we got around 430 something votes. Uh, that was from, from our points alone. So there are also other independent groups that are doing it as well. So today, I think we're expecting about the same number. Yeah. So basically, you would say that out of this city, in terms of your postal vote uh, collection, to be handed over to personal couriers, yeah. you might get about a thousand. Well, I don't know. I mean, we've never really done I'm anything to this large of a scale before, right? So I guess we'll have to see, yeah. So there's a lot of enthusiasm because of I guess the Undi 18 reforms which allowed people of your age to vote. Definitely. So there's a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, there is for sure. And I think one thing is that 
people kind of have this misconception that uh, that the youth aren't politically aware. I think that's completely wrong. I think that the youth are more politically aware than ever, and it just takes it just takes giving them the right channels to give them a voice. Yeah. So that's what we're trying to do. Okay, and and so basically, you would say most of those votes might be from young people, young new voters, first timers. Definitely, we've had a lot of like new people come and be like, "Oh my gosh, it's like my first time voting. I'm so nervous slash excited." Um, but we also have those like older uh, generations coming as well, which is so nice to see. Like they're some of them come straight from the airport. Some of them make like a three-hour drive here, so it's just really nice to see wow. that. How you mean they fly in from somewhere else? Yeah, like I, I'm not sure, but like we have people calling us and being like, "Like, hey, can you guys?" Like just not close yet. Like we, like we're coming from the airport. We're coming. Wow. We're coming. Do you think they're flying from small towns? Maybe. Maybe like some in the suburbs. Yeah. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, thanks for your time, Z. Thank you so much. Good luck. And from Z, here's Thama to explain further. Undi 18, of which you are a co-founder, is very much now behind big organized effort to get foreign ballots, uh, Malaysians overseas postal ballots back in time. And that's a huge challenge, of course, because Malaysians who've successfully registered to do postal voting in very far-flung places, who knows, Midwestern US to somewhere deep in Central Europe to China, I suppose, and, uh, you know, remote areas of Japan and so on. So it's really quite a big effort. How are you guys trying to tackle this because also as talked about before um it's a huge influx right of uh, malaysian students the numbers are at least in a few the the tens of thousands Mm. uh of course the malaysian expat community uh we've had ranges of uh, of estimation from 1 million uh malaysians overseas to 1.5 million Mm. uh some even estimate up to 1.8 million which is a massive massive number right so I do believe that there is a huge population that we should reach out to, that we can reach out to, and these are the communities that can and uh, that can imp- impact change if you know we were to be able to bring their ballots back effectively enough. But of course, that's a challenge, right? Um, so for us, um, in terms of what we're trying to do, um, you know, the first thing, first and foremost, is to get the ballot, get the registrations up. I think that was the big challenge, right? For context, in GE14, uh, there were seven thousand. 800 or 7,900 registered uh, overseas postal ballots under 1B. Um, That was what SPR announced. That's essentially the context in GE14, right? So what we are trying to do is something a bit more audacious, um, which is that not only do we want to bring back ballots, but we want to increase massively the registered numbers of postal voters in the first place, right? Um, So which is why we set out, um, I mean, frankly, uh, I'm not too sure if we are able to achieve it, but we just want to try anyway to bring back 50,000 ballots uh, back to Malaysia. And um, in order to achieve that, it means that you actually have to have probably a minimum of at least 80 to 100,000 registered postal voters globally, right? Uh, in order to bring back 50,000 ballots. So I think that was the challenge that we that we announced and that we set for ourselves. Um, so I think we are quite fortunate that the numbers seem very good. There have not been any official numbers or any official announcements by the Electoral Commission yet in terms of what are the total registered 
numbers of overseas voters. But based on the feedback we've received from various countries, from Singapore, from UK, from Australia, uh, the numbers are quite large. So we do believe that uh, it, it has already surpassed uh, the GE14 numbers. I think that's that's one element. But the second element also is, of course, that student network, right? So yes, the numbers are big, but at the same time, that challenge also presents an opportunity, right? Because large numbers means that there is a critical mass that uh, can be formed that will enable logistics to actually, um, you know, be possible, right? Compared to having small numbers, you know, that is that is dispersed, small numbers in random areas, small numbers in certain far, uh, you know, far-strung locations. Having large numbers of Malaysian students in central areas like London, Sydney, um, you know, uh, parts of Japan, right? Singapore, of course. I think that enables us to have that very strong um, critical mass that enables that that mobilization and uh, and coordination to happen. I think that was that's the benefit that we're trying to build on or leverage of uh, for this particular um, movement, right? For Vote Malaysia. Mm. So for context. Uh, when we started Undi 18 uh, in 2016, myself and my co-founder were part of an organization called the Malaysian Students Global Alliance, where we were both vice presidents, right? Um, and as part of the Malaysian Students Global Alliance, there were many uh, sub-organizations uh, of Malaysian students in different countries around the world, in the UK, in Australia, in uh, in Japan, in China, Turkey, etc., right? So that's essentially the same network that we're leveraging now. The Malaysian Students Global Alliance to build that uh, that sort of global coordination. So I think the idea is that if we can if we can successfully do this, therefore uh, it becomes also easy for us to bring in other you know other Malaysians overseas to to bring back their votes, right? Because for example, right now uh, just to share with you, like we've secured certain um, you know certain partnerships, for example with MAS. Uh, the uh, Malaysian Airlines has agreed to bring back votes from from five countries, and that would that agreement would never have happened if we did not say that hey, we have X number of people in these countries, we have this number of students who would love to get some help, right? That was some of the the numbers and the logic and the mm-hmm. rationale that we sold to MAS, which got them to agree. So I think um, just the overall thing is that yes, the challenge is numbers, but also there is opportunity in numbers. The really tricky part here, of course, will be that all these Malaysians, uh, student Malaysian students included abroad, would be getting their ballots in all staggered times, right? Correct, correct. So it'd be hard to sort of figure out when is the absolute deadline to collect those ballots. Yep, yep, absolutely. So I think that's definitely the big challenge, right? Uh, logistics uh, and timing is very difficult. Mm. Um, I think there was a recent uh, announcement by Global Bursi. Uh, I'm going to assume that they checked with the EC first before they put out the, those those uh, you know, those dates. But there was basically an estimate of the earliest date that overseas voters will be getting their ballots. So you had people who are in Europe where, they, where the earliest they're getting it is the 14th of November um, in the US, 14th of November. And that's the earliest, by the way. That right? is so, so time. Be, right, right. It's, it's really mission impossible, right? Uh, it's really, really super difficult. Um, so I think that's that's the natural issue that we face, right? Um, so I think the, but the, I think the, the, what we're trying to do is that to make sure that, okay, everyone is bringing it together in one centralized hub, mm-hmm. one centralized area. What we are banking on is also the fact that um, possibly, possibly, uh, shipping and also postage within a country is much cheaper and much faster than overseas 
shipping and postage. I mean, this this is this is for sure a fact, right? So I think the idea is that if we can have centralized, um, you know, uh, leads or centralized uh, coordinators in big cities, that will enable. If let's say, even if let's say you get it, you get your ballot on the 14th. Someone else gets on the 15th. Someone else gets it on the 16th. Right? Doesn't matter. As long as you all send it to one person to collect, and this person will then package package it together uh, and put it onto a, a luggage bag or do a centralized, um, you know, um, you know, uh, like express mail back to Malaysia. Whichever method it is that it, that they choose to use, I think that centralization is very important uh, in order to overcome this huge issue of dates. Right, because if we if they were to individually send it back, right, of course they could invest in express mail, but that's very expensive as an individual, and it's almost not worth it, right? But if let's say you're able to collectively work together and bring back 200 votes, 500 votes, a thousand votes, right, all of a sudden that uh, you know that value of that express mail becomes worth it. So once it is sent back, and either through airlines, either through uh, you know getting certain passengers. Who are taking back flights to Malaysia, you know, by chance, by coincidence, right, or by express mail, whichever whichever method that, that, that's there. Um, the the secondary element that's very important is that what is the domestic logistics yes. that will enable <laughs> fast delivery, yes. right? Well, that's, that's, that's what, the that's other the, problem, the right? Part. So so you guys Correct. will have to be hanging out at KLIA and other airports, presumably, ready to go. Correct, exactly. So right now uh, we are set up in KLIA. That's the game plan. Um, so we will be waiting, and we will be having uh, shifts. So we will be having volunteers waiting in six-hour shifts, starting from the first flight. The first flight in will be from Australia uh, at 5 p.m. Right. Um, so from 5 p.m. on the 16th, we will be having six-hour shifts where there will always be someone just on standby um, in. KLIA waiting to pick up and hold the hold the ballots before it is brought back, right? Uh, on a on a on a daily basis to the collection center. So I think that's one element that we're there. So I think for us, we do need to mobilize a large volunteer network domestically in order to make that possible, um, and to be able to you know get firstly get the votes in KLIA in a in a manner that makes sense because there's so many different flights. That I think that's that's the first challenge. Number two is that uh, when we bring it back, right? Of course, the sorting. Is also going to be a bit of a challenge, right? Making sure that we get the we get a large enough space, right? Uh, we also have enough volunteers to sort out everything. We have enough boxes, right? Then the next part is that how do you coordinate, right? How do you send it out to every single state, including Sabah, Sarawak? <laughs> and then the next part is that from every single state, right? You cannot simply say that from KL I'm going to send out to um, to X constituency in Johor. No, I have to send it to Johor first. And then there should be a coordinator in Johor to send it out to every constituency. That's the most efficient method. So essentially, there is layers and layers of logistics from the domestic level that we have to also deal with. So it's not just the international logistics. I think the key element here is the domestic logistics to ensure that when we do sorting and then we, we're cutting it very close. So essentially, on the 18th uh, evening, we'll cut off all um, all last minute uh, mm. you know uh, ballots and all that we will just focus on sorting and sending it out mm. so that 18th evening will essentially be able to send out entirely to across to all the constituencies across Malaysia that's the game plan so it is it will be a 24 hour operation to send it from KL across uh, Malaysia to basically all the uh, polling centers where they collect the ballots yeah correct that's right 
And how many? I mean, well, it's 222, basically. So you, you need a little army both in uh, Malaysia as well as across the world. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So I think that's where we uh, have been working together with a few organizations. Yeah. Very lucky to have this network. Uh, but I mean, it's definitely not a cha- not not a not anything easy at all. It's very very challenging. Yes. Uh, and uh, even now we're still, still trying to figure out so many of the pieces mm. um, because it's so many states, right? Some states we have supportive allies. Other mm. states we got no one, right? So how do we deal with it? And basically, in terms of scale, what you're saying is from G14, you had about under 8,000 postal votes. This time, you're th- expecting yeah. upwards of 50,000. I'm expecting about 80,000 registered postal votes Right. Uh, at a minimum, right? Uh, I'm hoping for at least 100,000, maybe even 120,000. I mean, fingers crossed, I hope that's the numbers mm. because we've, we were very aggressively promoting the idea of postal vote registration. It was very coordinated on various social media, right? Uh, if you if you search the hashtag Undi posts, um, and you'll see like you know tons of viral posts, uh, and we've been encouraging people to once they get registered and once they have the confirmation to post it out so that there is that sense of FOMO, fear mm. of missing out yes. uh, amongst other overseas voters, right? I think that was the game plan that we had uh, because again, if we don't have the numbers, then any logistics, any supply chain. Um, becomes moot, right? Because, because it becomes very difficult to coordinate. Mm. And fr- from that, do you get a sense as to what the enthusiasm might be like? Because, you know, the, part of the debate and the question that people keep raising at the moment, a lot of Malaysians are just tired and meluat, you know, just, just had enough of uh, Malaysian politics. Yeah. And the big problem now may be the turnout. Yep. Do you get a sense of that at all? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I think that's that's a challenge that we are uh, we're definitely facing, right? Um, but I think the the great thing is that uh, with student communities, there is a lot of optimism, right? Uh, I think the great thing is that because it is going to be for many of them their first time voting, right? So there is that that excitement, right? Uh, many of them are beneficiaries of the Undi 18 bill, right? So which means that you know many of them would not have actually been eligible to vote or even qualified to vote if not for the implementation of the bill. So I think that was that there is a sense of excitement uh, that's there amongst that community, um, amongst the young you know, students uh, over there. Um, but I do recognize amongst expat uh, Malaysian community who are living overseas at the moment, I would say that, um, that, the, that the sense of excitement is definitely not the same as in GE14, where that sense of excitement was palpable, right? You know, you felt that, hey, you're at the brink of something truly magical. It's truly beautiful, something that's coming together. Right? I think that was a different feeling altogether, right? Um, but I think amongst the young, there is still that enthusiasm um, that, that we can feel. I, I mean, for me, I think there is a sense of beauty and romanticism in solidarity, right? When we see our fellow Malaysians being able to or being willing to work hard, being willing to push hard, being willing to, you know, to do this amazing race around the world, in order to send a single ballot back home, I think there's something truly quite magical about it, right? And I think that triggers a lot of feelings, that triggers a lot of emotions. So I'm hoping that this narrative will resonate with thousands, if not millions more Malaysians, this idea that our votes are truly precious. And here are this this community of uh, Malaysians all around the world who are fighting for their right to vote, fighting for their votes to count. What more as a Malaysian, how who's staying in the country domestically, you know, how can we not take the extra half an hour or two, three hours to just go and travel 
and go and vote, right? I think that's something, sometimes you need that narrative to, to be out there, to resonate with the public. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the things that we're hoping to do. What, what do you think are some of the key issues that you know, get people excited enough to want to do this, to go and vote? For me, I think being able to understand and identify who is the good guys and who is the bad guys, I think that's that's something that is so incredibly important, right? Um, and I think that's really the challenge over here. Um, when we do our own polling, when we look at uh, data, I mean, because for me, there's also a lot of uh, analysis that I also have to look at, um, you know, when I look at politics, you know, when people ask me to commentate on, on issues and all that. So what I can say for a fact, uh, based on a lot of surveys, is that young Malaysians are not apathetic. Young Malaysians are incredibly, you know, uh, engaged or interested or at least they pay attention, right, uh, to what's going on in terms of politics. They read about it, especially, you know, Gen Z and all that, just because it's so accessible nowadays, right? Whether it's on TikTok, on Instagram, on Twitter, right? Uh, these are all platforms where it's so easy to access and find and sort of know that, okay, these kind of things are sort of happening, right? Even though you may not have a very deep, in-depth understanding, but really, you know, how many people or, or what percentage of Malaysians actually have an in-depth understanding of constitution, law, policy. I mean, there's, there's probably like it's a 1% of a 1%, right? Um, but I think there is that broad-based interest and there's broad-based interest in voting. But again, the challenge is that there is this level of inability to choose, right? Or inability to identify who exactly are the clear good guys and who exactly are the clear bad guys, right? Because when if you pay attention to the news also, you've seen that even amongst political parties, there's so many deals being struck. There's so many movement of seats. There's so many backdoor dealings, right? So I think that sort of, you know, affects the the belief in the in you know in or, or the understanding of who exactly should I essentially go out and support and go go out and really fight for, right? So I don't know. I think that's that's really the big the big challenge this time, uh, to try to craft a narrative, uh, to show that. Sorry, yeah. I I, I think I think that's that's perhaps one of the challenges that uh, a lot of uh, parties will need to uh, contend with, right? How do you recreate? That uh, that great, you know, David versus Goliath, uh, that, that great kind of fight narrative uh, that was there in, in GE14, right? Um, and, you know, if you can't create that, you know, can you say that you, can you objectively say based on your track record that you're a better side, right? So I think that's one of the challenges that a lot of uh, leaders, especially those who are in opposition, uh, would have to, have to, you know, contend with, right? And if they can't do it, then how can they convince their voters to make that calculus for them? And how do you think the pandemic has really affected a lot of young people? I mean, clearly, you know, there's quite a lot of joblessness. Um, there are wages and salaries that are not keeping pace with the soaring cost of living. And then there mm-hmm. is this other issue, which, of course, affects a lot of uh, young people's futures um, that seems to be an elephant in the room that is not even barely discussed in many of the campaigns, which is the climate emergency. I mean, are, are these, yeah. are these yeah. some sort of issues that, you know, would get people out? Um, absolutely, absolutely. I think uh, the issue of um, not, not only COVID-19, but just general economic issues and as a whole, I think that is a real pain point. Um, and especially with the rising cost of living, uh, inflation, um, you know, you're looking at a possibility of a recession next year. I think these are, there's a real fear uh, and there's a real concern by young Malaysians that, you know, you've got to have a good government, right? Uh, because it directly impacts you and it impacts us all, right? So, but I think there is a lot of very competing narratives. 
which is very challenging, right? So the the Barisan National Site has has positioned themselves very smartly, right, um, throughout that pandemic period by essentially placing themselves as sort of an opposition within government, right? By criticizing and saying that okay, this government or the Muhyiddin Yassin government was not doing a good enough job, right? So they, they played the, they played that game very well. So narratively, they could be seen as hey, we are the guys who have the good ideas. But also simultaneously, we are saying they're, they're also saying that you know we are the guys that are bringing stability, right? So there's one narrative, one set of narratives. The second set of narrative is of course the the you know the Prakata National Muhyiddin Yassin narrative, who's like you know what, during the COVID-19 um, pandemic, we were the ones who gave you so much of welfare, so much of help, so much of assistance. And um, so therefore, you should be thankful for us, right? Uh, we did all this all this kind of stuff, lots and lots of handouts, uh, lots of welfare, right? So yes, things were tough, but, you know, it was a tough situation globally. And, um, you know, yeah, you should be thankful to us, right? Um, so I think that was that is the narrative that, you know, the average young person has to contend with. So even when it comes to economics, right? Even when it comes to anger, while that anger is palpable uh, and is seeable, but you, I think it's not very obvious or it's not very clear-cut to say that, okay, just because you are angry or concerned about economics, therefore, you're going to vote opposition or therefore, you're going to vote Pakta Harapan or therefore, you're going to vote PN. Because I think each political party or each coalition has successfully positioned themselves, I think very intelligently, especially BN and PN, um, to benefit from that angst uh, or the economic angst in a way, right? Um, and uh, I don't know, I, I feel like, um, I think that uh, Pakta Harapan probably should, uh, needs to, uh, you know, brush up in terms of their economic narrative a little bit more, right? Uh, in order to make sure that they win because it's not the same as last time, right? Where just because you're angry at government, there's one clear alternative. I think it's become so much more complicated nowadays. Um, and um, that, you know, uh, I think that has to be taken into account when looking at how young people will vote. Yes, and I suppose we could also say that GE14 might have been where that 20 plus years of reformacy peaked and yeah. it's now buried and G 15 really is a new narrative, a new slate of issues, yeah? Mm -hmm. Because I suppose voters of the Undi 18 generation were not really born actually, when Anwar was sacked and jailed in 1998. Correct, correct. Absolutely. So Absolutely. All, all we were, many of them were too young. So I think there's no emotional tie yeah. to how momentous that occasion or that, that incident was. And so harking back to that, seeking resonance with that doesn't really matter. Mm -hmm. Yep. And of course, we shouldn't accept or expect the youth vote to be some monolithic block but in fact, it's quite Correct. fractured. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important part. I think uh, in Western countries, you could probably assume, okay, young people vote progressive, young people are liberal. Uh, in Malaysia, that's absolutely not true. Uh, I don't think that you can conclusively say young people are A or B, right? Uh, you know, look at any sort of data. We are very uh, varied in terms of uh, geography, um, race and religion. These are the three key elements that decide where young voters tend to vote for. Um, but I do think that one key element that unites all young voters is concern of economic issues. Um, and also, I think the other, the other core thing that uh, a couple of surveys have showed is that young voters tend to be less loyal to political parties. right? I think that's an interesting thing also, where just because they voted for you does not mean that they necessarily are loyal to you forever. Uh, and therefore, their loyalties can switch if 
you know, you you don't do a good job. So I think that part is quite interesting, and it makes young voters really, uh, you know, a generation of fence-sitters, right? Uh, and just waiting to see who's doing better and who will spot you. That was Thama Pillay of Undi 18, just before he rushed off to get those thousands of ballots to counting centres across Malaysia. Thanks for listening to our series Malaysia and Deluge about the 15th general elections. Do send us email comments and more about the series to ge15malaysia at pm.me. You've been listening to a series of podcasts on Malaysia's GE15, produced by Kian Wong in association with MASA, the Malaysia and Singapore Society affiliate of the Asian Studies Association of Australia.